Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas Podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada. I'm a perimenopausal mama to my toddler named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed. I'm a naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone. It's Dr. Tony, and I am uh, have a, a, the great pleasure of having a wonderful guest on today. And I, I am biased because I know Dr. Cindy Gilbert from when we did our training uh, in naturopathic medicine at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to have her on um, a goodness since I even, you know, before we started releasing episodes, I thought I would love to talk to, to Dr. Cindy. Um, she's the author of a couple of books. She's the author of The Essential Guide to Women's Herbal Medicine, as well as um, a book called Forest Bathing, which I'm really excited to talk to her about today. Um, she is a naturopathic doctor in Toronto. Um, she has a practice where her focus um, is in mental health, trauma, addiction, and sexual and reproductive health, and LGBT plus health. Uh, and she also supervises student interns at uh, a clinic at the Queen West Community Health Centre. Um, especially when there's not a pandemic happening. So thanks so much for joining me today, Cindy. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about forest bathing and all of the things that are involved in connecting with nature with you. Thanks so much for having me on. I think you know, it's, it's so important to talk about uh, nature exposure and the health benefits of it. Um, but even more so because of what's happening right now in the world. So I really appreciate that we're doing this now. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, we're recording in the middle of, of June in, in 2020. Um, we've been dealing with a, a global pandemic for the past few months, um, which for a lot of people has meant the idea of staying home and staying inside. Um, and that has had real implications for our mental health. Like we weren't designed to stay inside. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, as, as you mentioned, I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how much time we spend outside, whether it's uh, like through forest bathing uh, itself or just through like contact with nature in general. And a lot of our incidental contact uh, that we had with, uh, with natural environments or with like parks and green spaces uh, in cities or in rural areas has shifted uh, because of stay-at-home orders and the pandemic uh, that have impacted people in different ways, depending on where they're living and what's happening in 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 those spaces. But for most people, that has meant less contact with nature because we're spending more time inside, or a different kind of contact that's um, that's you know been impacted by what kinds of spaces are open or available. Now, I don't know what, what things are like where you are, Tony, but um, you know, when the past few months here in Toronto, a lot of the, all of the playgrounds have been shut down. So, so kids don't have access to those play structures in different ways. And, uh, and, and so families are, are interacting with parks in a, in a different way. And then, you know, spaces that are like provincial, uh, provincial national parks and conservation areas that, that have you know larger land spaces with natural settings have all been closed until very recently. So for several months, you know people who would only be able to access those uh, larger spaces if they uh, drove to them or took public transit to those areas haven't had access to to trees and to forests and to ravines and uh, to that break from. You know, the from from the pandemic in the same way. 
Yeah, for sure. A, a very similar situation here in Calgary. Um, especially with, again, playground structures being closed. Um, and, and also even the idea of you know, whether you are self-isolating or whether you're quarantining and whether you're going out outside at all or whether you're staying in your neighborhood. And then depending on what neighborhood you're living in, will give you an idea of what access you have um, to to green spaces or not a lot yeah, of and green absolutely space. this is I mean this was already kind of a, a huge factor in who had access to green space and who didn't was that you know uh, I think you know more often we we talk about this in relation to grocery stores and there's um, some more awareness around you know what people call food deserts so that certain mm-hmm. neighborhoods actually uh, don't have access to uh, healthy food choices in the same way as other neighborhoods might have a lot of access easy access close access to making healthy food choices those same disparities also exist in our green space so some some neighborhoods have a lot of green space within, um, you know, within walking distance, within, you know, uh, like either a few hundred meters or even a few kilometers to their, uh, where they're living. And other places uh, live in green deserts or, or blue deserts or, or uh, you know, other ways of talking about those natural environments where they may not, they may have to go more than, five kilometers outside of their house or where, wherever they're living uh, or apartment or whatever in order to access green space. So, you know, that's already a problem with access. And then that's just increased during, um, during stay at home orders. Or if people, obviously if people are in quarantine, then they, they can't leave their house at all um, or access those spaces at all. And if they don't have a view of a park from their, uh, their, <laughs> their, their living space, uh, then they don't even necessarily have uh, access to looking at green and blue things. Um, but if they are at stay-at-home orders and they live in a neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of uh, green space nearby, then they're less likely to be able to access those spaces during uh, during pandemic and, and stay-at-home times than they were even before where there was already that disparity. So it's, it's one of the ways that we see that, um, that health inequities uh, are just worsened by uh, by some of the things that have happened because of the pandemic. They just accentuate it rather than improve it. Right. And now we, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast of the impact of stress on our hormones and and you know on our health, uh, especially when it comes to like our menstrual cycles and um, and other symptoms that that again women can have when hormones become um, out of out of whack and out of sync. Um, it, maybe can we talk about like the impact of you know not having that access to nature and green space? And then I and then I'd love to talk about kind of the difference between even just. And the idea of accessing nature and um, and doing something like forest bathing and the difference between that. But um, can yeah, you? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a ton of research that's been done um, over the past few decades, uh, and and we're learning more about it. I think every day <laughs> there's more studies coming out uh, that look at you know what those what 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 the health impacts are of having uh, access and contact with nature and then not having it. And, you know, a lot of those studies look at this kind of uh, this, this distance from green space that I was mentioning just before. And so the further away you uh, your primary residence is or where you live is from green spaces or uh, how much or how little canopy you cover you have has an impact on not just stress, but, but real health outcomes uh, and rates of diseases. So we know that people who live further away from green space or have less contact with, uh, with natural environments are at higher risk for, you know, all of the things that you probably talk about on your podcast, depression, anxiety, uh, any stress mediated condition, heart disease, diabetes, um, 
you know, dementia that, you know, is, is maybe like 10, 20 years out, but, mm-hmm. uh, any, any health condition that you can imagine, uh, it's going to be a higher risk, the less green space you have, even things that, you know, you may not think is directly related like migraines, but that we know have potential, um, stress components to them. So we don't often think of like, you know, I I'm, have fewer headaches if I'm in a park once a week. Well, you actually do. Um, or you're more likely to have fewer headaches the more time you spend outside. So it, it can be that simple. And it really oftentimes comes down to stress. And that's where most of the, the research on, on forest bathing or on nature contact um, looks at. So a lot of that research was done uh, in in between North America, Europe, and uh, Japan. Uh, and a, a lot of this kind of uh, data comes from studies where they had people sit in natural settings or sit in like at a, a city intersection. So they weren't moving around. They weren't doing a lot of physical activity. Uh, they might go on a, a, a gentle, slow walk. Um, but the differences that they found were often in these kind of st- things that we talk about as stress markers. So heart rates are lower when we are generally when we're in in green spaces or in forest settings heart rate variability is improved and that's a good marker for our resiliency to stress so that's you know how easily can our body adapt when we experience a stressful situation and that could be you know i mean we know that you know being a parent and being perimenopausal is 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 already stressful because there's a lot of change happening and a lot of transitions all the time (laughs) (laughs) and so you know the more resilient we can be in those settings the more you know uh, capable, the more patience we feel like we have, the more, the better, you know, kind of um, parent we could be or the better <laughs> person to ourselves and more compassionate we can be for ourselves really depends on these stress markers. So other things uh, that decrease our blood pressure, which is really important as, um, as people are going into uh, perimenopause and, and postmenopause, uh, that, uh, heart, that, that blood pressure decreases and cortisol levels, they act, you know, actually what we think of as being that stress hormone for the most part is lower when we're sitting in a natural setting or in a forest than when we're in, uh, you know, as I am in downtown Toronto. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's, those are the, the main, you know, health benefits that uh, most of the studies are looking at is in those things. And, you know, it, it goes so much further than that. There's benefits that have been uh, shown through those studies in other kind of stress related pieces, things like, uh, being able to, uh, think more clearly, to be more productive at work, to, uh, having more attention, things that are important for kids, like reduced, uh, attention deficit, deficit hyperactivity disorder symptoms, you know, obviously, uh, as someone who is nearsighted and needs glasses to see that more time we spend outside and using our long distance vision, uh, especially in kids, we see, you know, uh, they're less likely to need to wear glasses sooner. Because uh, it's it, it provides us with that, you know, that distance viewing that we need even more so now that we're staring at screens a lot, um, because we are inside. Uh, it has health impacts in terms of other pieces around mental health. So uh, some of the forest bathing studies looked at people when they were exposed to nature, uh, they actually did functional MRIs. Uh, And what they found was that people's, the parts of people's brain that were associated with ruminating. So that's, you know, uh, thinking about a negative thought or a negative uh, idea over and over and over again, and replaying something in your mind over and over and over again, that our tendency to ruminate was decreased when we were outside. We just think better, uh, that we are more cooperative and more compassionate with ourselves and with others. That shows up a lot in the research on kids, uh, where, you know, kids if you have more than one, you know this very well that, you know, when they're stuck inside, they're much more likely to be on top of each other in a way that is antagonistic. So that, you know, they might just end up kind of doing that sibling fighting thing. Uh, Whereas outside in natural settings, uh, kids are more likely to be cooperative to do things like, I know I've witnessed this a thousand times. I have two kids myself (laughs) uh, where, 
you know, they'll be fighting and arguing and yelling at each other. And then we're on a walk in a, a ravine for five minutes and I turn around and they have uh, looked at each other and they, there's a, a really big log on the ground and they're working together to try and lift it and carry it at a distance, right? That those cooperative pieces uh, show up more when we're outside because we're more relaxed, because we're more capable and we have uh, more space, you know, both from a mental health perspective and physical, literal space to, 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 to be different. So that's, those are, I think, the biggest, the biggest things that are relevant. Um, yeah, that's so, that's so cool that there's so much research and showing all of those benefits. Um, and it's, again, like in, in, in scientific literature around it. Um, do, and I wonder, you know, is there a distinction between um, just having a lot of green space and kind of open fields versus a, a lot of forest or tree cover canopy, like you were saying? Well, I think, you know, the, the, we don't necessarily have a lot of those distinctions yet uh, in the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, some people are definitely drawn um, and, you know, not living close to an ocean. I'm not one of those people. I've never, uh, I, I love oceans, but I, I have never, I didn't grow up next to uh, an ocean, but some people are much more drawn to the open spaces of fields and uh, oceans and feel uh their, their, you know, their sense of calmness in those spaces more than in forest settings. Mm-hmm. In Japan, most of the research that was done was on forested settings in part because that's what they, you know, were comparing it to. That's what the setting that they chose. Yeah. Uh, and, and there certainly are, you know, different kinds of potential uh, reasons why forests have certain kinds of impacts. Um, you know, a lot of the research in Japan looked at, uh, they're, they're mostly conifer forests. So they, they, they are trees that have a lot of volatile oils or uh, the Japanese uh, often refer to these in studies as phytoncides, which ties a lot into the immune benefits of being in forested settings. Um, because as you're breathing, those phytoncides or volatile oils or uh, when, when, when we, you know, buy them in the store, uh, in small bottles, they're called essential oils. Right. So, <laughs> when yeah, I don't, I don't know if a lot of people are, are, uh, would uh, be used to calling them volatile oils, but no. essential oils for sure. But, as, but we know them as essential oils. Yeah. And so when we're around those essential oils that that has, uh, benefits to the immune system and can change immune markers. So that that's a, a distinction of a, a conifer forest over some of those more open field spaces that may not have as many essential oils present in them or different kinds of essential oils. But the research really hasn't uh, delineated between those things. You know, the, the canopy cover is an interesting one because there are some studies that looked specifically at canopy cover in cities and found uh, you know, an interesting thing around uh, pregnancy and delivery and labor was that uh, people who lived in areas of, uh, of cities and suburbs where there was greater canopy cover were at lower risk for delivering babies that were considered small for the gestational age. So that just means they're smaller than expected when they're born. And the only thing that they could tie it to was canopy cover. Now, obviously, it's difficult in studies like this to you know piece out what actually is making the change because um, you're talking about large scale population studies, and then they try and control for other factors like diet and socioeconomic status, and um, and so so things like income and 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 diet. Um, but it still looks like canopy cover and and closeness or uh, distance to green space does uh, appear to have these impacts, even, you know, when we try and factor out things like income and nutrition, which are probably the two of the biggest other factors. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. So it really makes me kind of think, okay, so there's the the piece of, of getting outside and and lowering cortisol and potentially the uh, the aromatherapy that may be happening depending on the kind of the the types of trees or, or plants that you're in contact with um it, uh, i i wonder is the, is there something else involved even if it's not necessarily 
Um, oh, there's so much more. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's the aromatherapy piece. There's the, the, uh, the, you know, there's, there's pieces around access to vitamin D mm-hmm. there's pieces around, you know, just, uh, even just like getting away from responsibilities, <laughs> right. Um, that, you know, we can't discount the, the piece about just having, a bit more open space to, to just be present in the moment. So there's, there's that piece around mindfulness that, that that's not going to change whether you're in a forest or you're in a field or you're Mm. on a beach. Um, And you know, you're, you're, you may have to worry a little bit more about sun exposure uh, if you don't have a lot of canopy cover, uh, but you also get more of those vitamin D benefits potentially. Um, and, and more of the light shining onto your eyes uh, that, that has another impact. You know, I'd, we don't really understand uh, the entirety of the reasons why being in natural spaces is good for us. You know, some people talk about it in terms of patterns that we see in nature and how those patterns mimic patterns in our own bodies so that there's more uh, almost like a fractal component to it um, that that seeing natural patterns helps us to uh, be more in tune with our own physiology and uh, and and find that sense of calmness in those spaces uh, and you know some of it is how we whether or not we feel safe in those spaces you know if we feel uh, safe and we feel calm uh, as opposed to feeling you know, anxious and rushed, right? That that is a huge part of it. And I think, you know, that's the piece that, that, that researchers sometimes don't talk about enough is that what do we associate with nature spaces on an individual level? Um, because, you know, and what do we associate with these kind of more uh, concrete based city spaces on the other side that, that those, that we often compare in studies. And, for people who have a lot of like sense of nature connectedness, right. And that's, you know, people who have always wanted to spend that time outside people who, you know, uh, when they don't get that time, feel like there's something missing from their life. And I, I'm certainly one of those people. I mean, I spent a lot of time lying in the grass as a kid or hiding in the cedar hedge behind my house <laughs> um, or, or wandering around in um, parks and forests. And you know, but not everybody has those uh, childhood experiences or adult experiences where they feel at home in those spaces. So some people, you know, uh, feel fear when they go into those spaces. Some people are not as relaxed as others. And, and we, we need to do a better job, I think, as researchers investigating what those differences might be. Because if it is stress-mediated, then whether or not you feel stressed in nature could be the biggest uh, factor in terms of whether or not you experience those health benefits. And that's so important to to really kind of look at is that individual experience and and what it means to each person. Um, because definitely, you know, our our thoughts, especially you know something like fearful thoughts, will <laughs> will absolutely you know trigger that that physiological response of our stress hormones and and all of the 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 impact of that on mm-hmm. on our body physically um absolutely i mean we you know we uh i often talk to parents um and 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 people in general who you know are worried about um about like, bugs or worried about mm-hmm. uh, ticks in, mm-hmm. in 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 those spaces um, because you know that, that that might make them feel actually uneasy when they are in natural spaces if they're worried about uh, about getting sick or getting stung or uh, or getting lost or about other uh, other non-human animal animals that they like might encounter. You know that I know um, as someone you know who who didn't grow up uh, in in west coast of Canada that you know I. Uh, I'm a little bit uneasy when I'm hiking in Western Canada because I'm not used to being around grizzly bears or I, you know, I I just don't have that experience. So some of it is, is kind of skills and knowledge and understanding. You know, I know, I know other people that uh, here, you know, where I am are, are, they don't know how to identify poison ivy and there is a lot of poison ivy around. And so that makes them more fearful to go into those spaces or to, to walk off of a paved path. 
um, because they don't know how to protect themselves. And I think, you know, you and I were talking about this too. There's other layers to this, right? So those are, those are kinds of some of the common fears that all of us can experience when we're uh, in nature, potentially like fear of, of, of disease, fear of insects, fear of, uh, of being bitten, fear of other animals. Um, but then, you know, there are other, other reasons why people might not feel at ease in, in nature spaces. And I think uh, we're starting to, to have a lot more visibility around that uh, in recent months, uh, unfortunately, than, than we had in the past around, you know, how some people uh, don't feel safe because they don't feel like they can be in those spaces for different reasons, because they don't feel like they, they uh, are, are able to be in those spaces safely. Um, right. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, there can be the fear of, of, you know, what do you encounter in those spaces? And it could be animals, but it could also be other human beings. And, and again, that's, that's, that's safety, security, and, um, and kind of the unknown um, is definitely more apparent for, for certain people, depending on how they identify. I mean, um, whether it is a single um, female, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, in 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 a space, or uh, again, unfortunately, there's been instances of of people of of certain races and backgrounds that where those situations haven't turned out very well. Yeah, and I think I mean those are really important things for us to recognize, especially when we're talking about you know, the benefits of being nature. Not everybody has access because of where they live, mm-hmm. um, but not everybody has access in the same ways because of identity markers. And, and um, you know, I, I think back to, I used to, uh, I, I, and I sometimes did this with you, actually, when we were going through school, we would go trail running. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was absolutely, <laughs> you know, that too, Cindy. <laughs> yeah. And we would, um, you know, which is like much more pleasant to run on a trail in some ways. You get nature exposure at the same time. We would take a break from our schoolwork and go running on this trail that you know didn't have a lot of people on it really. And yep. uh, and I, I I don't know I don't know that we ever had too many conversations. It's also a long time ago now. But I you know I would never have as uh, as a, a young woman have run on that trail or felt comfortable running on that trail by myself. And um, for safety reasons. And, you know, and then I think about and, 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 you know, both of us, I think, you know, uh, I I don't think it's any, any, anything not to say, but as a white woman, I already, we already have those privileges that other Mm -hmm. uh, women of color or men of color or, you know, or other folks of color might not have in those spaces. So I'm, I, you know, in the past few weeks or months now, I guess, it hasn't been that long and time is weird in pandemic. Pandemic time is very, yes. <laughs> um, very challenging uh, to, to kind of pinpoint. But, you know, I'm thinking about situations that have been very, uh, very visible in the media recently around folks of color and their access to or, or, or lack of access or ability to be safe in those spaces. So, you know, there was the, the case of, of Chris Cooper in Central Park in New York, who's like a, an active member of the Audubon Society and a very avid bird watcher, um, who you know was uh, just enjoying the bird life in Central Park, and you know it's a it's a large park in New York City where a lot of people go to uh, to, to to look for birds and, and watch birds. It's something that I've been doing a lot during pandemic times as part of you know, something that I find calming and mindful and stress reducing too. So I, I, I completely understand, um, you know, why people want to do that in those spaces. And he was in Central Park and there was uh, another person who was there uh, with a dog off leash and it wasn't an off leash area. And so he uh, spoke up because off-leash dogs can actually present a hazard, especially in areas where there are a lot of birds, uh, because they don't always mix. And uh, asked this person to uh, put their dog back on the leash, and it it resulted in uh, this the this uh, white woman 
actually calling the police uh, and and talking about how he was threatening her and uh, naming him in, as a as a, a black man who was threatening and using you know that the language of race to uh, try and position him as the the threat while while it was her actions that he had uh, you know had had invited her to change so that he could enjoy that natural space and instead of being able to just bird watch and listen to birds and and get access to some of that stress reduction that we just spent all this time talking about you know he had to be worried about the police coming to the park to uh, as a result of this woman calling and and all of the potential repercussions that can happen around that uh, uh, and police violence that's not uncommon for uh, folks of color, especially um, black identified folks. So, you know, there's this unequal relationship that we have to address within um, within these movements of talking about wellness and green space uh, within, you know, environmentalism and green space uh, within health and wellness in general, that, you know, that, that, that there are lots of people in our communities who don't necessarily have access, whether it is, you know, you and I as women saying, I wouldn't have run on that track, I wouldn't have taken a walk or run on that, that trail by myself, because I wouldn't have felt safe as a woman, because I would have been fearful the whole time about whether or not I would be assaulted, or whether or not you're a person of color accessing those spaces, and also living in that moment with an ongoing fear of being criminalized or having somebody call the police or being uh, shot. And, and we have to have these difficult conversations because, you know, that, that really um, is an unequal and unequitable relationship to nature. You know, I, I just, Five minutes ago, we were talking about how that's going to reduce your heart, how being in nature reduces your heart rate and reduces your blood pressure. Well, it's not going to do any of those things if you're worried the whole time that you're in that space. And, um, and so, you know, we have to kind of acknowledge that uh, all the, 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 the biases and the discrimination and harassment that, that exists is also impacting our ability or some people's ability, not everyone's ability, but some people's ability to access those health benefits in natural settings. Yeah, because I'd love for it to be as simple as just, okay, everyone go outside and enjoy nature (laughs) and connect with nature. But that is just a a huge oversimplification of a lot of people's experience. Um, And of of course, I always... um, I always immediately want to go to, okay, then, then, you know, what, what's the solution? What's the fix? How do we ensure that as many people as possible are able to access and connect to green space nature um, in a way that's going to be very supportive for their mental health and physical health? And I know that's not necessarily simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish that there was a really simple answer to that. Uh, you I think don't a lot have of the answer, would. Cindy. <laughs> I, I mean, my answer is like we change society. Um, <laughs> uh, I think you know the the there is no simple answer, but we we start with having these conversations. Yeah. We start talking about it, and you know we encourage uh, others to talk about it. I know you know I've been. Um, been trying to, you know, and and I'm so grateful to be on this podcast so that I can talk about, you know, and that we can begin those conversations so that we acknowledge Mm -hmm. that not everybody has the same access and that that's unfair. And, uh, and that, you know, not everybody gets to experience the wonder and beauty and, and stress uh, reducing impacts of being in nature, they or they can't even get to the park to begin with, because they live in a place where there's no green space near them, and they don't have adequate public transit. Um, so I think, you know, we have to, to kind of uh, become aware, of it, and that's the first step. And then uh, one of my colleagues uses this uh, framework where it's, um, it, it talks about, you know, recentering on the margin so that we look at the people with the least access and we build policies around urban planning and we build policies around health 
and wellness, and we build policies and structures around the people who have the least access right now. So that that's the focus, that, that our, our, our center is not trying to capture all these people who currently don't have access from where we sit with privilege, but rather uh, highlighting you know, people whose experience is marginalized right now um, and who, who haven't been taking up those spaces and encourage them to, to and, and, and talk about how do we recenter ourselves to be, you know, as inclusive as possible by starting from that place as opposed to trying to widen the net from where we are. So, it, you know, it's, it's a huge question. That's why we, yeah. I was like, well, we changed society. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that there's any one kind of thing that we can do that's going to address all of the, the, the unfairness that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I think there's lots of small ways we can make those changes. There's big ways we can make those changes. You know, that part of it is, uh, is is giving more visibility to it, giving more visibility to people of color who are working in green space, um, and and hearing from them about you know what they're doing and um, letting them you know take the lead and have voices, um, and you know and and pushing policy change and societal change in different ways so that that everyone. And can have more equal access for sure and and no yeah way. it really starts with with conversations and also kind of being curious of of looking at you know looking at what other people's experiences are especially people who don't identify as as you you know i identify as you know a white heterosexual woman and and so then i can get curious as to you know you know how that how that impacts me being able to enjoy green spaces. And then what about everyone else um, in, especially in my community mm-hmm. and, and then also even being aware of, okay, what are the policies and uh, that may be limiting, um, you know, other people's experience and, and yeah. how those can shift. I mean, I think the other pieces, you know, we didn't really talk about this and it's, I mean, we could talk about these things, I think for a lot longer, um, Mm -hmm. just like we could talk about the health benefits of being in nature, you know, uh, we have to talk about our relationship to land, right. And, and, um, I mean, both of us are settlers to uh, Canada. Yes. Uh, my family, uh, came to Canada, uh, you know, having been uh, dispossessed of land in Eastern Europe. Um, but uh, and 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 moved around from place to place, but came here uh, to to land in Canada that that isn't ours, um, and have settled here. And and this is my home. But I think you know we we can't not acknowledge the piece around um, for some people that relationship to land is also uh, is also you know hand in hand goes hand in hand with uh, both like trauma right now that we talked about, you know, that those fears and, and, and unequal access and relationship, but also intergenerational trauma around land having been taken away uh, and not having, having that um, relationship to land severed through uh, colonization practices and continued, continuing to happen, um, especially for indigenous folks in, uh, in North America in, in terms of, uh, fighting to uh, protect the land uh, and in, in a way you know, that we get to access through these, all these green spaces only because all of these generations of uh, Indigenous people in North America have, uh, have taken care of, have been you know, water keepers and land keepers <laughs> and, uh, and forest keepers and sustained and sustained those places responsibly uh, cared for them uh, in order that you know we can have access to those spaces, and so there's this power dynamic and a piece around um, around intergenerational trauma and ongoing uh, current trauma that that impacts some people differently than others. Uh, and having that historical perspective is is so key, especially when we're talking about 
um, you know, who belongs and, um, and just, and, and, and the safety and security and, and all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's lots of ways that people can work uh, locally, you know, depending on their, their, their situation where they are both on a personal level to have those conversations, but then to think about those things, like whose land is it that you're yeah. enjoying? Whose land? Um, and, and how can you, how can you, uh, work to redress some of those uh, wrongdoings historically, potentially through the work that you do with green space, through um, connecting with local community groups and, and, um, and, you know, we don't call it grassroots for nothing, right? It's kind of (laughs) starting from the ground up. (laughs) Right. So with all of that, because <laughs> there's a lot that, that goes into when we really look at our experience in nature, that there's, there's a lot to unpack for, for kind of each person and a lot of different layers. Um, in general, do you have specific recommendations on the best way to be able to connect with green space and, and nature? Um, or again, is it really just so individual that each person has to kind of really look at what, what that looks like for them? I think there's both like, there's the individual piece and then there's, you know, there's, there's like, there are ways that we can you know do that together. Right. And, and I mentioned mindfulness before, I think that, you know, that, Mindfulness allows us to be mindful about ourselves in this space, right? So that if we, if we, even if we just go and, and, you know, make, think about it uh, in terms of going into a green space where you do feel comfortable, maybe that means bringing somebody else with you. Maybe that means being by yourself. That's where the individual piece comes in. Maybe it's only comfortable for you if you have somebody who's knowledgeable um, with you. And so you're, you're using a guided experience, but even or maybe it's just I feel comfortable in this tiny little square patch of grass uh, where I can sit on a bench or uh, I can lean against a tree or um, or on an accessible path you know that um, so that you can use your mobility chair to get there right which mm-hmm. is a whole other layer, mm-hmm. a whole um, other layer. so however you get to that space and just uh, taking the time, to yourself, to, you know, to, to be cut, to have a, a moment of self-reflection. Maybe it's, it's thinking about some of the things that you and I talked about today um, and how that, you know, whether or not you're coming from that uh, place of privilege in accessing green space or not. Um, but then, uh, you know, turning inward and, and, and giving that space to how do you feel when you're in nature, right? Just reflecting on how you feel in your body in that moment uh, focusing on your breath, focusing maybe on the smells around you, uh, doing something that I call, uh, or a lot of people call, I'm not the only one, I didn't make this up, uh, like five senses meditation or five senses forest bathing, where you use and you actually go through each one of your senses to, to, to acknowledge that moment and take that time for yourself and think about, you know, what is it that I see around me? And what are all the textures of the leaves? So that you are using your senses to slow time down, to slow your heart rate down, um, making sure that, again, that you, you are feeling safe in that moment, whatever that looks like, and you've been able to access it. Uh, and, you know, I, I, for me, I always uh, actually you know, start out with um, acknowledging the land that I'm on and the people who've uh, cared for that land peaceably, uh, historically, and I, I give some moments of time to that as well, either, you know, at the beginning and then, and then refocusing on my own health needs, or maybe it's on community stuff, but taking that mindful moments is part of the health benefits. And I think everybody's able to do that. Some people are able to do it in very different ways. And, um, and we've talked about how that can be more challenging for some people than others. Uh, but, you know, figuring out, um, how each person can do that for themselves or for their families, I think has, has real benefits that's, that's worth pursuing in spite of all the challenges that we, we have in spite of, you know, wanting to change, uh, change the world right now. 
For sure. And, and, and I love that idea of, again, you know, focusing on our own needs and our own health is, is so key when, when there are big changes that need to be made, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, in our family structure or in our community structure or as a society, as, a, you know, a, a global community, um, you know, if, if you're not taking care of yourself, then that being able to impact on a greater level is, is not necessarily going to, to work that well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can invite other people into that space, right? And you can make it more community oriented at any point mm-hmm. um, so that we can have this, you know, this, this play between self-compassion, self-care uh, and, and, and working with others to, you know, make those changes that we want to see in the world. That's awesome. And I think, you know, being in nature is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, because especially because of that place around, you know, I, uh, around cooperation and, mm-hmm. uh, and around, you know, re reimagining, um, how we can and work together. So I think, you know, there's, there's that, that a lot of potential, there's lots of, um, you know, different ways in my community that, that organizations are, uh, engaging in helping people who otherwise wouldn't have access to get access to nature. So uh, there's an organization uh, called Street to Trails that uh, does great work at taking people who live in, in shelter system or are street involved and um, helping them to access nature in different ways. Um, there's uh, a program uh, that I know through uh, one of the inpatient uh, hospitals focused on mental health uh, here in Toronto, where they uh, take patients who uh, live at the hospital uh, as inpatients and take them out into nature spaces. Because obviously, if you're in a hospital of, of any kind, you're you're, you're uh, often more limited um, in those access to nature as well. So, you know, those are some of the more inspirational pieces. I think that that you know we need to hold on to so that we can um, be creative in our solutions and and work together with other people to to make these changes happen and Love still it. get to enjoy it ourselves and 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 reap all the the health benefits at the same time I love that. And so I'll def- I'm, I'm going to look up that program and, and make a post on the show notes for people to check that out because, you know, that those kind of programs and, and that kind of possibility, even though it may be present in a different community than when, where you're at, gives ideas of, of, again, how we can shift things, how we can change things, how we can improve access for people who may not be getting it in in your community right now. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Cindy. No, thank you. So um, that with all of this uh, information and research and everything about forest bathing and everything else that you do, anyone listening wants to check out your books or get more information about you, where would be the best place to do that? Sure. Um, I mean, I have a ton more exercises, uh, I, more, more, I cover a lot more of the research in depth in my book on forest bathing. And I have uh, more, like I have a full description of the five senses forest bathing exercise, as well as other uh, forest bathing exercises that uh, people could do uh, by themselves or with their families and friends uh, in that book that you mentioned. Uh, my uh, people can reach out to me many different ways. My book is available, you know, Basically, everywhere where books are sold, it is available as a paperback, as an ebook, um, and as an, uh, an audio book on all the places where you would get them. Um, uh, and certainly, uh, my uh, first book uh, is also available in paperback form um, for anyone who's interested in my work on herbal medicine. Uh, where I obviously talk about uh, trees and nature as well, because that's, <laughs> those, are, those plants are just part of nature. <laughs> We're just using them in a slightly different way. Uh, I, people can reach me on my website, which is just cindygilbert.ca, C-Y-N-D-I, 
G-I-L-B-E-R-T.ca. And I'm on all the social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Pinterest, you name it. Uh, you can find me at Dr. Cindy N-D, D-R-C-Y-N-D-I-N-D. Awesome. You're, it sounds like you're everywhere, Cindy. <laughs> I'm trying to be everywhere outside mostly. <laughs> Perfect. That's and then awesome. if I'm not there, it's probably because I am outside. So if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not online, then I'm for sure out on a hike with my family or in a canoe or swimming in a lake. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So now before we go, we talked earlier, you said that you have us some stories to share about being in nature where you were having super mom moments and maybe some mama mess ups. Are are you are are you feeling <laughs> oh, generous sure. enough, generous enough to share that with us right now? Yes, I will share my mama mess up first. Um because I like to end on uh, the positive. I like it. Um, and so but you know our mess ups are often our 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 positives I think as parents too. Um, and, you know, for me, I know every time I mess up, I learn about the resiliency of my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a time when we were, uh, we were like on a, just a, a you know, a, a very moderate, um, to call it a hike is a stretch, but we were just walking <laughs> on this trail in, uh, that's about an hour away from our house uh, in the, along the Niagara escarpment. And so you're actually on a, a, a cliff uh, overlooking like a, a valley floor. And a lot of the trail was, you know, is, is along a cliff with big drop-offs on one side. And so, you know, as, as the, you know, any parent instincts are, you're always a little bit cautious, especially with littles. Um, and so, you know, at this point, my kids were like, relatively used to walking on those kinds of trails. And so we weren't doing like constant reminders and worried about them falling off a cliff as much. Um, but we got to the spot where we were, you know, kind of looking over the edge. And, and uh, if you can imagine this cliff, there's like, it, it wasn't a steep, steep drop off with a, a huge amount of distance down. But there was this area where you could kind of scramble down along the rocks that looked relatively safe and then climb back up. And so we decided to do a little bit of exploring. And uh, I had my mama mess up because we actually like we made it down and it was really cool. And there were all these crevices in the rocks and it's really like neat to look at. And it was totally safe and there wasn't a huge drop off. Um, But then we decided to climb back up. And uh, I chose this route that was had a little bit more climbing than anything else. And I and my littlest, who I think this is a couple of years ago, so must have been around eight or nine years old at the time, and was like, I really don't think that that's great, Mama. Like, it looks like the you know the rocks aren't all stable, and like this isn't the right direction to go. And you know, as the adult in charge. I was like, no, no, it's totally fine. I'll go first. <laughs> Don't oh, worry. Me. And then I'll help you up. And so I started to climb up and I put my foot on this, what I thought was a totally stable rock that actually loosened and a large boulder <laughs> went kind of you know, tumbling down towards my child <laughs> who I had told to wait until I got up to the top. And, you know, helplessly, thankfully, nobody got hurt. Um, But, you know, my uh, youngest will still to this day remind me of that time that I was the one who took too much risk (laughs) and almost hurt them um, by by loosening this boulder that, you know, went tumbling down. (laughs) So that was, you know, it's like a bit of a mama mess up taking, you know, sometimes we're trying to like, teach our kids a lot about risk, whether that's on a play structure or it's on a hike uh, and how to mitigate those risks. And it was a bit of a mess because I didn't, my kid was doing a much better job of making a cautious, educated decision than I was in that moment. But a learning experience. And you also gave your kid that, that experience to, to again, kind of assert that uh that uh <laughs> it was that, a bad idea and i have yeah, listened yeah. to them a lot more since then 
<laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh, uh, so I think, I, and you, know, the, you, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was thinking about the, the win, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, which is that, you know, uh, I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest benefits of taking my family out into natural spaces and, uh, and, and, and actually doing a lot more like physical activity outside. Um, we do a, a fair bit of hiking and um, canoeing and uh, camping when we can. Uh, although none of us are fans of mosquitoes. So we do do most of our camping in the late summer and fall. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> well, we have black flies too here, which are awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, one of the, I think the biggest benefits is like, is confidence building. And then this, you know, this piece around just having resiliency to stress that you get from, from persevering and from learning to persevere in, in times that are, are, are not great. So, you know, it, it, it maybe is like a little bit of a mama mess up story, but also a, a, a mama win story. I don't, I can't remember yeah. what you call them. Oh yeah. Super mom moment for sure. Super for mom sure. moment. Yeah. And it was definitely a super mom moment. So uh, last year, my, my kids are a bit older. They're, they're 11 and 12. And uh, the past couple of years, they've wanted to do, you know, more challenging hikes. So uh, two summers ago, they were like, we want to climb a mountain. And, you know, we don't have mountains uh, in Toronto or anywhere near us, but we did end up um, having the opportunity. Uh, I, again, you know, <laughs> we had the privilege of being able to go to New York and, 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 and hike in and climb and summit uh, one of the mountains in the Adirondacks. Mm, cool. And so that was a great experience. And, and, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of, of perseverance involved, but uh, there last year we decided to do this hike along a trail in Yoho National Park, uh, actually in British Columbia, but quite close to Alberta yes. on that border. That is a hike that um, my, my husband and I loved. Like we, we did it on our own and we, we, we did it as a day hike and loved it and, and always talked about going back and bringing the kids with us. And, you know, they heard our stories and saw the pictures and they wanted to do it. And we didn't do it as a day hike because it's too long for them with packs. Um, so we, we did it in two days and the, um, we actually did it in three days and spent one day kind of out in the valley of the mountains. And it is a, a mountain trek. Uh, it's called the ice line because you actually are hiking uh, along the edge of glaciers for a large section of the hike. So at the foot of glaciers, high up above uh, a river valley with a view of a really like one is one of the tallest waterfalls in Canada, I think, on the other side of this valley. So it's, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And we were on that section of the hike on our last day and it was a, a 10 kilometer hike out and we started the hike and it was beautiful. It was sunny. It was warm, not too hot. It was the great conditions. And then within about half an hour, it started to rain and it did not stop. <laughs> it rained and we have, I mean, we have all the gear. So we, you know, we're very fortunate that way that, you know, we had rain co- uh, coats and rain pants and uh, covers for our backpacks uh, and the kids were carrying their own weight of like water and all their clothes and their sleeping bags. Um, so th- they weren't unburdened, but it was not just raining, but it was pouring. And we were exposed because we were above the tree line for most of this day. And so I learned, you know, very quickly, like how each of when how each of my kids deal with the stress of hiking in the pouring rain and having to just keep going um, because we had to get back to the car. <laughs> um, yep. And there, you know, was we're not really like going to be time for like stopping and really enjoying the view. And we didn't have a great view of the glaciers um, that we wanted to have. And so, you know, we we had to. Uh, find that resiliency and find that perseverance. And, you know, my, my youngest dealt with it by kind of rage walking. (laughs) So was set, was the pace setter for all of us and um, led us and wanted to be the first person on, you know, it's like a single file trail. 
And, uh, and so the youngest was the one in front and, and set the pace and kept us on track the whole time because was on this one track of like, all we have to do is just keep walking and we keep walking and we will get there and we'll get back to the car and we'll get back to dry clothes and we will get back to being out of the rain. And um, my other kid was like the, the cheerleader um, which I'd seen the year before on this like hike in the Adirondacks, but um, he was amazing at just being like, you know what? It sucks and it's raining, but it's still so pretty and it's still beautiful. And like, look at this glacier lake. And, um, and, and, and it was a super mama moment because I realized that both of my kids, not only were they strong enough to do a 10 kilometer hike above the tree line with like 750 meters of, of, of descent and, and, um, and be able to do that without having to carry them, which was really nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also not possible at this point. Um, but also that, you know, they were able to find that strength within themselves and, and, and that capacity to just persevere in, in a, a situation that was challenging where, you know, I wanted to like stop and just like sit on a rock and cry. And, and, they were able to show me that, you know, that we can all do it. Right. And if they can do it, then certainly like I, as a parent can, can, can do it too. Right. And it it was definitely a super moment that we all still talk about. And, you know, we, we had to promise them we would not go on another hike for a week. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful moment to have as a family though. And to have as a mom, just to see your kids be able to to again to make it and to get through it uh, I and have to, to, to yeah. see their strength it's like it's yes amazing. yeah I have to say that um it, it makes me think of of a a hike I did where I wasn't prepared for the rain and I I took the strategy of the rage walking for sure to get through it so <laughs> <laughs> it's a very solid approach really absolutely right don't talk to me I'm just I'm single-minded I'm focused I am absolutely absolutely so and before we leave i wanted to to share a mama must-have i don't know if you have any kind of mama must-have um whether it's 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 a a a thing or an activity that that you think is is essential for mamas out there but especially just how we've been talking about accessing nature um you know i would really encourage every mama out there to have um a place outside where they can can go and spend time with their kids and spend time as a family um, where they do feel safe. And and it can just be as simple as, I mean, I, I feel grateful to have a park a block away so that we can just go around the corner and and be able to to run around and, and connect in, in nature. Um, even if there's no structure around it with my kids or, or, or whether again with, with Frankie, I'm taking a ball or taking bubbles or taking a certain activity to do outside. Um, so, so that would definitely be my mama must have right now. It's, it's definitely gotten me, gotten us through, you know, the past few weeks, past few months um, with this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think my must have is, is it, it like, it can be that simple or it could be like a, a, a backpack full of like, <laughs> <laughs> of stuff. I mean, I think, you know, my, the must have to me is, is the same, like the absolute must have is outdoor time yeah. and um, figuring out a way to make that work. You know, whether it's like, even if it's container gardening on a, on a, uh, a balcony, yeah. Um, it doesn't have, you know, it, 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 it can be really simple. It can be um, just appreciating a potted plant inside. If you're stuck in quarantine, it, it, we, I've, I've, I've learned to be a lot more creative about it, I think, because of pandemic um, and stay at home. But that, you know, that there are uh, like figuring out how to introduce more green into your life mm-hmm. and, and your family's life uh, is, is so amazing and so powerful um, and opens up like a world of opportunity. And then I think, you know, my, my other must-haves are like, if you ask me what was in my backpack, uh, if I take my kids out, it's, you know, I, I, I love to have, I don't think you need anything because you don't even need, you don't never need toys when you're outside because there's always sticks and grass (laughs) and rocks (laughs) and rocks. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's always 
things to find. My, my, one of my biggest must-haves is um, we always bring a, a plastic bag, a garbage bag with us and a glove um, so that we can safely clean up our green spaces. Um, and so that to me is, is a, a, you know, the environmentalist in me is like, well, every time we go out, we can also help uh, clean up those spaces. Um, but, you know, getting, getting the information that you need as a parent uh, so that you can uh, enjoy those spaces with as much safety as possible, whether that's, you know, having bug spray or sunscreen or a first aid kit or like learning how to do some basic first aid um, or a guidebook or like an app, you know, uh, I, I actually like as much as I, I think that there's like so much benefit of, of getting away from screens. I know that, you know, having a bird app and a, uh, I don't use it as much for plants because I know them better. Um, but there are plant apps on the phone that you can, you know, help to, to learn more about nature when you're out there. Um, and, and so that's, you know, the, the other, other pieces that I think are the extra must haves cool. <laughs> beyond just going outside. Well, I love that idea of, yeah, I mean, using technology because there's benefits of having technology so that we can connect with nature in, mm-hmm. in a different way and, and we can increase our knowledge about it. Love that. Thanks so much for sharing all of your experience and expertise with us, Cindy. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a joy. Now all of us should go outside. Yes. Yeah, let's do that. So thanks so much for for joining us today, all of you perimenopausal mamas. Um, You know, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram. You know, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. And please tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. So stay safe and healthy, everyone. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.